Hello, I'm Garni Barkajarian of the Pacific Neuroscience Institute and CNS member for more than 10 years. What I love most about being a member is access to cutting edge science and the opportunities that have advanced my career. I've also gained new colleagues and lifelong friends. Being a CNS member has been so rewarding. The value of membership cannot be defined by a number. Join me and the over 10,000 neurosurgeons who are making a difference in the world. Visit cns.org slash membership podcast today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CNS Controversies in Neurosurgery podcast. My co-host, Dr. Seth Oliveria, and I, Roshna Lee, are excited to hear our guest speaker today, Dr. Ricardo Komotar. He's a professor of neurological surgery and director of surgical neuro-oncology at the University of Miami School of Medicine. He's going to talk to us today about the nuances and controversies that are associated with resection versus laser ablation for recurrent glioblastoma. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Komantar. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So to get the conversation going, would you mind giving us um, your opinion and a little bit of an overview on what are some of the reasons or characteristics that create equipoise when you're trying to choose between resecting versus ablating a recurrent glioma? So laser, I think everyone knows, is a relatively new technology, last decade or so. And as the technology has advanced and as we get more comfortable with patient selection, uh, you know, early on in my career, when I was first using the laser, the laser was really only for very few select cases. I think in general, as surgeons have become more comfortable with it, the cases that we find equipoise in uh, are typically smaller tumors. Lasers have a, a maximal ablation diameter of about three centimeters max. So the ones where you're going to consider ablation or uh, a resection are going to be smaller tumors, uh, tumors that are typically not in eloquent areas because you can't really do mapping, functional mapping or awake surgeries with the lasers. So if a tumor is in the motor cortex or near speech, uh, I tend to not use laser. I tend to do those awake. Um, so I would say, you know, deep ones clearly get laser. Superficial ones that are large clearly get resection. Ones that are near eloquent that need mapping, functional mapping, whether it's motor or language, those tend to be open resection. Uh, but other than that, really the indications for, for using laser on gliomas has begun to expand, especially as we get more data about the inflammatory effects that it has as well, which can lead to uh, a superior uh, survival benefit down the road. So you mentioned some, um, you know, uh, relative contraindications for lasers, such as a tumor in a eloquent region that you want to map uh, with the patient awake. What are some some other contraindications that you would consider when uh, thinking about ablating a tumor? So size number one, uh, tumors that are large, larger than three centimeters you know, ones that are five or six centimeters, I don't really consider using laser on. Ones with a significant amount of associated edema because the laser, at least initially, is going to increase edema. Ones that are symptomatic from mass effect. Um, ones that are in eloquent region like we talked about. Uh, 
So those are kind of general contraindications. Some people like to use multiple lasers on the large gliomas. In my experience, when you start using multiple lasers, it, they tend to be difficult to wean off steroids. They tend to take several weeks to come off steroids. They can have pretty significant post-operative edema uh, with other side effects. So uh, I've done I've done several multi-laser cases, but they're few and far between uh, compared to the single single laser cases. So. Again, size for me is the absolute contraindication. And then if I want to do mapping, that's a relative contraindication. And have you ever tried to do any type of um, sleep mapping uh, combined with um, a laser case? No, I feel like if I'm doing a sleep mapping, I might as well just be doing the resection. Um, so I just feel very comfortable doing awake resections if it's, it's, if it's near eloquent region. So like anything else, it all comes down to surgeon preference, surgeon comfort. If you do a lot of awakes, you do a lot of uh, eloquent region tumors with mapping and you feel comfortable with that, I, I wouldn't change that for the laser. Um, so for me, I, I've just done, I've done so many that I feel comfortable doing those awake and open as opposed to with the laser. I'd comment, uh, Dr. Kumar, thanks so much as a Seth Holder. Um, I'd comment, I've tried that a time or two, and it's it's really difficult because you have to do monitoring in the MRI environment. Um, usually it's not very you know, either successful or satisfying. Correct. It can be very difficult. And I think you just have less control. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, when, even though you set your, your boundaries wherever you want them, there's something about physically mapping and seeing what is positive versus negative and then stopping your resection versus you see the heat zone. You're not sure if there's actually damage there or if it's just heated up. So um, again, it, it depends on, on your comfort level. I would say a surgeon who doesn't do a lot of awakes maybe and doesn't do a lot of mapping, say you have a glioma that's in a eloquent area or it's near eloquent, you could also just do a very conservative ablation. That's another option where you go in there you know, you do your biopsy to get tissue and then you do an ablation and you put the markers within the enhancing area so that you know you're not going to hurt the patient. It may not be ideal in terms of cytoreduction, but at least it's a safe way to cytoreduce tumors that are in eloquent regions if you can't do that awake with, with open surgery. I was going to ask Dr. Komatar, um, something I feel like actually comes up a lot more in, in regular practice, you know, in, in tumor board meetings is a person with a recurrent uh, glioblastoma in a resection cavity. And oftentimes those are challenging geometrically because they're, you know, around the edges of a cavity. Do you, do, what, what's your sort of approach to that? I feel like that's something that comes up all the time and not that you can't do it with lasers, but it's challenging where it'd be a relatively straightforward, you know, open resection just to kind of open up a, a previously, you know, operated on cavity. Particularly if you have yeah, no, to no. go through a cavity with your laser trajectory too. So would be really interested in, in hearing your uh, experience around that. So excellent question. I would say that small focally recurrent gliomas, there's always really four options, medical management, clinical trial, not doing any surgery, um, radio surgery, which is always an option for small focally recurrent gliomas open surgery, which many times, as you said, is more straightforward, but we've all dealt with those wound issues. And, you know, people are like, well, how common is that? I, I would say the, the 
the rate of a wound issue of some sort on a recurrent glioma that's gotten radiation and chemotherapy, anything from wound dehiscence that needs to be oversewn or a minor CSF leak to full-blown infection, bone flap off, you know, awful meningitis, I would say it's at least 5%, one in 20, um, if not higher. And so I really try to avoid, if I can, doing open surgery on small focally recurrent gliomas, large focally recurrent gliomas, those get open surgery. So it's either radio surgery versus laser. Uh, often the neuro-oncologist wants new tissue. So that pushes you towards biopsy and laser. And then when you're biopsying nodular recurrence that's near the resection cavity, what I typically try to do is I try to avoid the cavity. One, because you're not going through the prior bone flap. You're not going through the cystic area, which can kind of throw off your stereotaxy. But often you can get through it a different trajectory. And then what I try to do is I don't aim for the part of the tumor that's right near the cavity because that's a that's a heat sink. I'll push it off. Let's say the nodular recurrence is a centimeter and a half from, you know, starting at the edge of the cavity and it goes a centimeter and a half away from it. Instead of going 0.75, I'll aim for almost a centimeter, a centimeter 0.25 away from that cavity because you're always going to be able to give heat towards that cavity. You just, if you miss a little bit and you're in the cavity, now you're really, now you have to replace the laser. You can't heat up if the tip of the laser is in the, is in the resection cavity. So I tend to err on the side of the normal or not normal, but of the brain tissue as opposed to the resection cavity, knowing that it's small, it's focal, and I can, I can increase the intensity of the laser to ablate the part that is near the, near the cavity. Yeah, that's really great. Those, those can be surprisingly tricky cases sometimes. And I also want to say that when you're picking trajectories, which like you said, can be hard because you're trying to get at these tumors and avoid the resection cavity. I have no problem going through the forehead. I think a lot of people have this idea and it's, it's correct that in surgery, you want to avoid the forehead. Uh, but with lasers or, or, or a biopsy in general, it's no different than, than, let's say, pinning. And we always pin the forehead. We pin the forehead. We put a stitch there if we need to, and it heals great after about two or three weeks. So what I tell our residents and fellows is that if you need to go through the forehead, if that's a more straight trajectory, if it gives you a greater ablation, if it's going to avoid the resection cavity or the bone flap, go through the forehead. Because those patients heal great. One little, you know, absorbable suture, you take it out a couple of weeks later or it falls out and it, we really haven't had any issues. So don't be afraid to go through the forehead. And you're avoiding uh, your, your prior craniocyte um, while you're doing that. So it's, it's new vascularized tissue. So certainly, you know, out of the field of radiation in most situations. So absolutely makes sense that it would it would heal particularly well with a small stab incision. Mm -hmm. So in 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 addition to um, you know uh, changing your approach to these recurrent lesions and making sure you're going through fresh tissue, not going through the through the prior crany site, what are what are some other uh, technical nuances that you employ uh, for these cases? And how do you think um, certain advances in uh, technology have aided you in improving your overall outcomes with, uh, with ablations? 
So we're going to publish our single surgeon 300 laser series to look at the learning curve. Uh, we're just putting together that paper right now. But I think that when you look at what we've done at the University of Miami over the first 300 lasers and you look at the time of our surgeries, the complication rate, the indications have expanded. Our rate of surgery has really gone down. I think number one, because we got a new MRI, um, which was just faster and it was more compatible. We use Medtronic visual aids. So that's number one. Uh, number two is the Rosa robot. Um, really any robot, but for us, it's the Rosa robot. Um, it's amazing. I would say that when people ask me what's so great about the robot, I would say it takes away the human error or at least dramatically reduces it in the sense that as opposed to picking a starting point, picking a target point, and then you have a human being, whether it's you or a fellow or resident, trying to you know, freehand and put something on a target. Yes, that's the way we did it before. Yes, it worked well, but that's crazy in this day and age. We have technology where you pick the starting point, pick the target point, and a computer takes away all the error and it's down to 0 0.0 millimeters or something crazy. And then you have this accuracy where all of the human error has been dramatically reduced. So we got the Rosa robot a few years ago that has uh, not only reduced our operative time because it's much faster once you're comfortable with it, but we haven't had a single misplaced laser. And I think that even before we had a good system with the O-arm and everything, we had you know one or two misplaced lasers out of 100 or something or 150. We haven't had any since we got the Rosa. Uh, so I would say the Rosa robot use of any type of stereotactic robot uh, really enhances the laser, especially if you're doing deep targets, which is what the laser is, is really you know intended to do. Um, and then small little things like when you're like like when you're approaching tumors, exactly where to put the catheter, uh, how to ablate the tumor. Do you want to ablate it on a super high temperature over a short period of time or do you want to lower the voltage and then do it over a longer period of time? And little things like that that you learn over doing several hundred cases um, have have made it much more effective. And I think at the end of the day, it's about patient selection and our patient selection has become very refined and that's led to a, a, a very, very low complication rate. So is there a particular algor algorithm that you follow when, uh, when selecting patients? Is it predetermined or are you discussing each case at tumor board and coming up with a personalized plan? Um, we don't discuss every single case preoperatively at tumor board. If there's a discussion, obviously, if it's a recurrent uh, glioblastoma, that's normally coming from the neuro-oncologist. So they'll present it and they'll say that there's radiographic progression. We'll look at it. We'll discuss, okay, yes, this is progression, needs treatment. We'll go over clinical trials. We'll go over radiosurgery. We'll go over open resection versus laser and biopsy. And the neuro-oncologist will comment that, they want tissue or they don't want tissue or they don't need tissue. And then based off that, then we'll kind of go further. Um, but most of the laser decisions are being made in clinic by the neurosurgeons. And again, we have such a high volume of these cases that we all kind of think alike about what is appropriate. And if there's a question about whether something should be lasered, uh, we have a very collegial group. We always are discussing, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So um, there is no predetermined criteria, but we've definitely developed a gestalt at the University of Miami, and we all tend to select the same type of patients 
uh, as I was saying before, relatively small, potentially deep, asymptomatic um, tumors where you need tissue and you also need a biopsy. Komatar, you, you had alluded at the very beginning to the potential um, beneficial uh, kind of part of laser ablations for, for you know, causing an inflammatory reaction. I wonder if you might go into that a little bit for us. Correct. We, um, it all started, we, you know, I had a patient maybe about 10 years ago. I was one of my first patients here at the university. He had a small, newly diagnosed glioblastoma. Um, it was one of my first laser cases. I decided to do, just start off. Why not just do a needle biopsy laser? Did that, uh, came back GBM, got radiation chemotherapy, had a horrific immunotherapy response where the entire right frontal lobe was inflamed. We then removed the entire right frontal lobe and he's now 10 years later without any recurrence. Um, and that got us thinking about what potentially was different about this case. Uh, and one of my colleagues, Dr. Shisha, uh, has done a lot of work on this. And we have found that in people, in tissue that's undergone a laser ablation, there really is a very strong inflammatory response. And it's been hypothesized and proven to you know, some extent that, that, that inflammation uh, is a positive predictor for brain tumors and for gliomas. And whether it's an infection with an abscess versus meningitis versus an inflammatory response with the laser, clearly there's some type of inflammatory effect. And so what is potentially possible, and again, this is what we're working on, I think several other groups are working on it, is that the laser does, an, it potentially adds a secondary benefit, not only cytoreduction, but also opens up the blood-brain barrier and, um, and causes an intense inflammatory response that potentially could be, could be you know, protective against recurrent tumor. Um, so that's a reason to do it, not only on newly diagnosed, if it's the right indication, but also for recurrence. Yeah, that's really great. And I, I was wondering if that was what you were gonna say. I, I've seen that, you know, the occasional patient has a really robust inflammatory response after uh, even yeah. relatively small laser ablation sometimes. And um, it is kind of interesting. So right. I don't you're working on that. So to expand on your experience, um, uh, with ablating newly diagnosed uh, GBMs, Dr. Komantar, um, it, it seems like you are uh, supportive of that in the appropriately selected patient. Um, can you expand on that a little bit more and you know, share with our listeners what are some of the pitfalls to avoid uh, when doing that? So you're talking about newly diagnosed gliomas, correct? Correct. So you know, great, great question. I, I have an excellent example that I saw in clinic today. You know, a woman comes with an incidentally discovered right frontal, maybe about two centimeter deep, uh, but not that it's not resectable, but it's deep. It's about three or four centimeters from the surface. Uh, it's about two centimeters and it's clearly a low grade glioma, no question. Uh, what do you do in that situation, right? Your options are do nothing, open surgery versus biopsy laser. Do nothing in a clear glioma doesn't really fly. Even if it's asymptomatic, it's not a benign tumor. And gliomas in general, if you're sure that it's a glioma, should not be watched. So we threw that out the window. So then it comes open surgery versus a needle biopsy laser. In open surgery in a deep glioma on the right frontal lobe, that's what we used to do. Not that that's wrong. If anyone picks that, that's, that's a completely acceptable uh, treatment of this. And that's what I would have done before the laser. And 
actually before I was comfortable with the laser. But now my thought is the laser burns no bridges. And so you can do a biopsy laser, get a diagnosis, you know, ablate this completely, avoid a craniotomy, get her home the same day, because these are now outpatient procedures, and you burn no bridges. If this lady happens to have a recurrence in the future, now you have open surgery, then you can do a right frontal lobectomy should the time come there. So I would say that when it comes to newly diagnosed gliomas, um, I used to shy away because the you know traditional approach was you got to do an open surgery, you have to cytoreduce by removing the tumor and all the extensive resection literature. I think that the literature is now showing that the extent of ablation is just as predictive as extensive resection. And so if you can get a good ablation, that's no different than a good resection. And so, you know, I like the minimally invasive approach. I like the fact that there's zero wound issues. You can start treatment right away. These, these patients can get chemotherapy radiation within one week of a biopsy laser, as opposed to three or four weeks down the road with an open surgery. So I like the speed of treatment. I like that it's minimally invasive. It's boutique. The patients in general do extraordinarily well. And you burn no bridges. You can always do a open surgery later on. Yeah, that's really great. Um, I was, I was going to ask you, uh, um, are you getting a frozen during those cases before you ablate? Um, for, I, I found sometimes for the low-grade gliomas, it's hard for them to give you much information during the surgery. Uh, rarely do a frozen. If, if I'm really concerned about something non-neoplastic, you know, let's just say it's like a younger woman and you're thinking about MS. Gotcha. I would wait. I would wait for the frozen to say neoplastic. Um, or if you're worried about something infectious or, you know, but I would say that in a case that's clearly neoplastic, I don't get a frozen. Uh, number one, like you said, it's, it's almost invariably not clinically useful. Uh, and then that tissue in general, I want it to be impermanent. I want them to have that tissue especially when you're doing a biopsy laser where you don't have where you right. where you inherently don't have that much tissue that is one of the one of the negatives is that the oncologists typically want a lot of tissue and it's easier to get tissue if you do an open surgery um but i don't i don't want to waste that tissue so I, I don't send a frozen on the off chance that the tissue gets wasted or damaged i just send all the tissue off to permanent yeah, i do the exact same thing yeah yeah same Unless there's there's a clear reason to to wait and watch, um, I take four biopsies in each quadrant and and send out the tissue. And I don't know, has has that been enough uh, in your experience, or do you get chided by the by the neurooncologist for not sending enough tissue? Um, so I get chided fairly often by the neurooncologist about not getting enough tissue. <laughs> And I would say, you know, I, I, I do like you do. I do four quadrants. I even divide it in half. So they have eight full specimens to look at. And, you know, the oncologist will never have enough tissue. You could send off the entire hemisphere and they'd still be wanting more tissue. So at the end of the day, when they're like, why don't you get more tissue? My answer is, well, if there's a complication, why don't you deal with it? So I feel like when you're dealing with a needle biopsy and a laser, there can be complications from doing excessive biopsies, obviously. Every time you get tissue, there's an inherent risk of causing an ICH. So I, I don't feel comfortable in general doing four or six cores. And I feel like anything more than that, you're really pushing your luck, especially on these deep-seated tumors. 
and, and you know, I guess one other thing to comment for our listeners, there are, are times when more biopsy makes it harder to do the ablation. If you do get a little bit of bleeding or air, yeah. air in there, Absolutely. it can affect your ablations. Absolutely. That's a, absolutely a big point of, you know, people don't, there was some literature early on, but it, I, I've, I've had a, many cases, just like you said, Seth, where you'll cause a, a small bleed. It's obviously clinically inconsequential, but it doesn't allow the heat to radiate out. So switching gears a little bit, Dr. Komatar, um, you know, since there is uh, a, a shift towards doing more ablations than there was, you know, five or 10 years ago, um, we, we, we want to be mindful of the associated cost. Um, do you think, though, that uh, laser ablation for these uh, recurrent or new GBMs um, is cost-effective in the short and long-term? So I think early on with the laser, the answer is no. I would say that laser patients were going home at the same time point as craniotomies, at least at least at least the craniotomies that we did here at the University of Miami, I would say that the vast majority of our craniotomies leave post-op day one, lasers were leaving post-op day one. And so I think that there's not much money saved because money saved is going to end up coming from, you know, readmits to the hospital, um, how long you're in the hospital. And I think that now that we're doing our lasers outpatient, I feel like you're saving money there because it's an, it's an outpatient procedure, whereas a few craniotomies may be outpatients, but not most of them. Uh, so it's outpatients, so you're saving money there. And I think you just have inherently less complications with the laser. Uh, our group has had a great success and been very lucky, um, along with great patient selection, that we have very few complications. Um, and so I think that inherently as the laser technology and as the experience gets better, uh, people are going to have less complications when it comes to cranial surgery, uh, whether it's a wound infection or a hemiparesis. I think the complication rate is going to inherently go down as we get these uh, stereotactic minimally invasive procedures. So I, I think, yes, down the road, there will be cost savings through hospital stays being mainly outpatient uh, and the, and the reduced complication rate. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Komatar. We are coming um, to time uh, for this podcast, so we'll, we'll wrap things up. Uh, thank you once again for joining us today for this great discussion, and a huge thanks to our listeners for tuning in for this podcast. Please follow us on social media at Rushnali6, at Seth Oliveira, and at CNS Update for upcoming podcast episodes and other educational material. Have a great one.